Thanks, Darren. Great to have that uh, in front of us. We're actually going to be uh, exploring the Colossians reading tonight. So that was on page 1182. So if you can keep that open, uh, that'd be great. That would be very helpful. I'm going to pray for us and uh, we're going to dive in. So how about we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this living word, uh, the word that's able to correct and rebuke and encourage and challenge. I pray, Father, that you would take it now and by your Holy Spirit that you will be doing all of those things so that we might live more pleasingly to you. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Alrighty. Uh, question for everyone here, obviously uh, right the way down from the top to, uh, to the bottom. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do, do you think about this question? I, I remember being asked this when I was in, in high school. I was like, I don't know. I've never kind of, apart from I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Um, yeah, it was very important to be a fighter pilot. Uh, and that worked out brilliantly until I was short-sighted, short, not good at physics. And if you spin me around, I throw up. Apart from that, <laughs> apart from that, natural fit for me, okay? Just, it was just the thing I was always built to do. Uh, so what, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, apparently, according to some uh, very... Uh, unscientific survey uh, in about uh, 2007, something like that. Uh, increasingly, apparently, um, this was the answer from kids. Uh, I just want to be rich. That was 22%. I want to be famous. That was 19%. After that, a police officer, <laughs> a zookeeper, a firefighter, a doctor, a vet, equal eight was bus driver and zoo, uh, shopkeeper. And uh, <laughs> number 10 coming in at 6%. I don't want to work. <laughs> uh, uh, it's very important that I emphasize for you this is in no way scientific, uh, but it was very interesting. And I, I think at the time, it was really when um, uh, kind of reality TV was really kind of doing its thing on our society, that really healthy, wonderful thing that it's doing to our society. And it, it was provoking in people this desire to be rich and famous, unconnected with skill, effort, and hard work. What a wonderful thing that we've sown into our community structure. So, uh, so if you were, imagine you were rich and famous, what, what would you do with your life? Apparently rack up YouTube hits, and, um, and that's pretty much the sum total of all productive, meaningful things that you'll do in your life. Look, uh, there are some people who are rich and famous in our, life, uh, in our world. And it's probably not likely to be you. Uh, but I want, to see, I want to show you someone 300 years ago who was rich and famous. And I want you to think about what they did with their life. And then I want you to think about what you might do with your life, regardless of what you have in terms of fame and fortune. What could God do with someone who is rich and famous? I want to introduce you to a man called Nicholas Zinzendorf. Brilliant name, hey? It rolls off the tongue. Absolutely, it does. Uh, I, lo I love the name. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Nicholas Inzidoff was uh, a rich man. He was born into aristoc aristocracy, basically the ruling elite. And uh, he lived in Europe. And uh, he was one of those people that uh, if you were in charge of things, you would know Nicholas and his family, and they're very influential. Anyway, one day, uh, young Nicholas, who was really quite uh, captured by God, he started a thing called the Mustard Seed Club. And uh, the Mustard Seed Club basically was a gathering of other people who wanted to see the good news of Jesus go out to the whole world. 
And uh, that was a pretty good start. I think as a 10-year-old he started that. Uh, One day he was walking through the art gallery and he came across this painting. And it says in Latin underneath it, and just because not all of us have done as much Latin as we should have, um, I thought I'd translate it for you. He's looking at this picture and it was like Jesus spoke to him. This is what it says underneath the picture. It says, this I have done for you. What will you do for me? This I have done for you. What will you do for me? He was struck by the immensity of what Jesus had sacrificed for him and heard the question entirely personally. What did Nicholas do? Well, he helped a group of refugees found a new little town. Refugees from uh, Czechoslovakia to, uh, to found a new little town. And the little town grew up. And the little town had at its heart a passion to lift the name of Jesus high. And uh, I forgot to mention this morning, but one of the things that they started in that, in that town was a prayer meeting. A 24-hour prayer meeting. Get this, you're not going to believe this. A 24-hour prayer meeting. You're already going, that's incredible, right? That went for 100 years. There were people praying for 24 hours a day for 100 years. Now, if that doesn't challenge us, I don't know what will. What it did, though, was it burdened these guys with a heart for God's world. They desired to be faithful in every part of their lives. And two young men in particular, having heard of the uh, slaves in an island called St. Thomas, heard that on this island there were slaves. And the owner had said, no missionary, no churchman will set foot on this island. He had 3,000 slaves from Africa. And he said, this is my little island. We are going to do things our way and we'll have nothing to do with any of that God nonsense. Knowing that they couldn't find any other way to get to these slaves on the island, that they might hear the good news, these two young men in their 20s decided the only way they could do it was to sell themselves into slavery. They gave up their freedom, boarded the ship. And as the friends and relatives are standing on the dock and the ship's pulling away, you know, everyone's thinking, what what are you doing? What, What are you doing? And these are the incredibly famous words from this movement that grew up. They're called the Moravians. This is this is the words that they spoke as the as the ship pulled away. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. What they said was, Jesus, you did all this for us. We are ready to even sell ourselves into slavery to see others come to know you. Their desire to be faithful was so extreme that they even took that step. So that was their church. That's a church that's 300 years old now. Still has people in the Moravian church. What about our church? What about our church? That's a church that's famous for its missionary zeal. What could our church be famous for? Well, interestingly enough, uh, lest we think that being famous is really important, uh, Zinzendorf has this wonderful quote, and uh, I absolutely love this. I was blown away when I read this this week. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. If our heart is for fame and for riches and for glory, guess what? You will be forgotten. Here's a group of people who are famous because they sought Jesus first and didn't, were not concerned for their reputation. Not famous 
but faithful was their heart's desire. I would love that for our church. I I don't care at all if anyone doesn't hear about our church, really. Uh, But I would love our church to be defined by character, by something in us that drives us and motivates us. And I love these words. A church that's faithful and adventurous and compassionate and enduring. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at one of these each week. Until we land on the fifth week, we're going to tell you about that, because I want that to be really important as well. So this week, we're looking at the faithful one, the first one there. And so we're saying, this series is called, Lord, Please Make My Church. And it's a prayer, because as much perspiration as we put into it, it'll only ever work if God is the one who makes it happen. So this week, we're looking at, Lord, Please Make My Church Faithful. Please make my church faithful. So to do that, let's open our Bibles. Let's look at a church that's 2,000 years old. A church that's 2,000 years old, and that's the church in Colossae in the middle of modern-day Turkey. All right. Now, this church did become famous. It was on the red carpet of some kind. Uh, Have a look with me at verses 3 to 4 of chapter 1. Paul writes to them, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. It's really important to note that Paul had not planted the Colossian church. Maybe you're wondering, what does it mean to plant a church? Do you get a little. No, what that means is he didn't start the church. Okay? So Paul had evangelized in a town called Ephesus, which is their big regional center. And he'd spent a lot of time there on his second missionary journey. And it's thought that as he stayed there and preached, people from all the surrounding suburbs and out into the countryside had come through Ephesus, caught the gospel, and then gone back out to where they came from. And one of the people who'd caught this good news was a man called Epaphras. And what's happened is Paul didn't even plant this church, but he has heard of them. He had heard of their faith and love. See there, verse 4, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. Here's a church that's famous for being full of faith and love. That's pretty good, isn't it? If you can have a reputation, oh, that church, they're full of faith and love. Bring bring that on. What what an amazing uh, reputation they had. Uh, Now, has anyone seen a spring where water comes up out of the ground. Has anyone seen a spring? Yes? Yeah? Uh, It's a pretty amazing thing. So there's water under the ground, and without a tap or without a dam or anything else, here's water just coming up out of the ground. And it's a source of life, and it's a beautiful thing. Paul says here that there is a spring for their faith and love. Have a look with me at verses 5 to 6. He talks about uh, the faith and love you have for all God's people, verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. See, Paul's saying there's a spring, there's a well. Your faith and love come from somewhere. They come from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven. And it drives something very practical for you. It's really interesting to me, when we say hope, we often think in such a fluffy way about hope. I hope that I have a better week next week. I hope it doesn't rain. Actually, I actually do. I hope it rains next week. They're fluffy kind of things. I I hope 
that my recording of the Liverpool uh, Man U game worked last night. You know, that, that, they're, they're, they're funny little whatevers, right? When it says here that your faith and love spring from the hope you have in heaven, it's not just an imaginary idea or some sort of wafty wish. He's saying, I know that the hope I have in his heaven is that Jesus is raised from the dead. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is the king over all the universe. Death cannot defeat you. And one day I will live forever with him. A life-changing, solid hope. This hope actually makes a difference. It means that their future is assured. You can know for sure what will happen when you die. It means that it makes a daily difference. If I know that's true, then I will act differently today. Their faith and love spring from the hope they have in heaven. We see that faith and love actually do something as well. Have a look at uh, at verses 6 to 8. The The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up from you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. See, what produced this hope in heaven? Well, it was the gospel. It was the good news of Jesus. Epaphras brought it from Ephesus. Uh, Paul was probably preaching in about 55 AD. He's writing to the church in about 61 AD. There's five years in between. And somehow the good news that Epaphras heard over those five years, this good news has done something. It's the gospel, it's good news, and it has produced global growth. So from the backwater that is Israel, all the way to Rome, into Turkey, into Greece, into Egypt... All the way around the known world, the gospel was growing. And it was doing so because of grace. Grace is the thing that is the distinctive of the Christian faith. Now, what's grace? Sorry? I'll go, go Joy. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. That's very good. That's what we tell people in uh, our um, Jesus for the Curious course. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. Not that we deserve God's favor, but that in his mercy, he enabled us to love him. When we're his enemies, he forgave us, wiped the slate clean, and declared us to be his children. That's grace, and it's not found anywhere else. Everywhere else will tell you you have to work hard to earn God's favor. I was sharing this morning, I I sat at the table of um, some people who came to our church only once. Uh, They wanted some help. Uh, They were getting married and wanted some help. And I said to them, guys, do you know who gets to go to heaven? And they said, oh, good people, I guess. I said, would it blow your mind if I told you that bad people go to heaven? Now, look at me, what do you mean? I said, we're the bad people. We all sin. We all fall short of God's standard. But by his grace, he offers to forgive us. It's bad people who go to heaven because there are no good people. That's grace. And it messes with our minds, doesn't it? Because we think, God, I've got something to contribute. But he says, no, Jesus has done everything that you might stand before God as forgiven children. So this has been growing throughout the whole world. And uh, I know at times in Australia, it feels like Christianity is going backwards. Does it feel that way? Sometimes. I want to encourage you, the gospel is still growing all over the world. Did you know that? I want to tell you a little bit about Africa. I found these stats the other day. I thought they were really encouraging. So in 1900, there were 10 million African Christians. 
That's quite a lot, I would have thought. By 2000, there were 360 million. It is projected by 2025, on that continent alone, there'll be 633 million Christians. Brothers and sisters, whatever happens in our neighbourhood, in our secular and angry society, I want you to know the gospel is bearing fruit all around the world. It is growing. People are being saved. They're coming from darkness to light because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Be encouraged. Right from 2,000 years ago, where Paul wrote this to the church in Colossae, the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. Be encouraged. Even to men with machines. So here's Paul. He's heard of their faith and love. What would he pray for a church like that? Well, we're going to have a look. Paul offers this. Now, can anyone tell me what that is? Can anyone guess what that is? Hmm. It is indeed. How useful is a hot air balloon on the ground? It's not very useful unless you're playing games with kids, I assume. Yeah? Then it's probably vaguely interesting, although a hot air balloon probably is just going to smother kids and they'll die inside it, so that's not very good. What do, you need? what do you need for it to become useful? You need to fill it with hot air. Okay, you need to fill it with hot air. And when you fill it with hot air, something amazing happens. It lifts and it rises and it travels. Now, this is something of a good illustration. We don't want to fill you with hot air. But we do want you to hear Paul prays for them to be filled with something, to go on being filled. See, that gas bottle underneath keeps putting hot air into it. Okay, if you turn it off, what happens to the hot air balloon? It goes down. We need to go on being filled in this way. Have a look what Paul prays for the church in Colossae, verses 9 to 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. It's absolutely beautiful. So what does Paul pray? He prays that they'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And what he says is, if you are filled with the knowledge of God's will, you will live a worthy life and you will be pleasing to God. How does that sound? Vaguely interesting. How does it stack next to being rich and famous? Here's the thing. What's on offer is the ability to know for sure that you are living a worthy life. That your life is pleasing to God. In fact, that's what we prayed in our prayer of confession. I don't know if you notice this. That we may please you more and more. Do you, do you see that? It's actually possible for you to be pleasing to God if we are being filled again and again with the knowledge of his will. So I want to ask us tonight, do we know God's will? Not, not in the sense of, what's the next thing I'm going to do tomorrow? God, would you reveal to me which car park I should take when I go and get my shopping tomorrow. That, that, that's not what we're talking about. Do you know the big plan that God has for the world? Do you know that? Do you know what his priorities are? What his heart is? I would love you to know God's will. And what I would say to you is the next question will reveal if you do or if you don't. Do we know his word? Because God has gone out of his way to make his will known in this book right here. Uh, if we are strangers to his word, we will be strangers to his will. If we're strangers to his word, we'll be strangers to his will. There's no way that you will know the full revealed will of God unless you're someone who loves to spend time here. 
loves to spend time here. So do you know God's will? Do you know his word? And I want to be a little bit, uh, stretch you a little bit and say, do you know his pleasure? And what I mean by that is, do you know the delight of God with you? Do you know that he delights in you? That he loves you? He loves you and he takes delight in you. Do you know his will? Do you know his word? Do you know his pleasure? Because wonderfully, it's on offer. Okay? In, in Australia, here you go. In fact, the one that you have on your seat here, if you don't have one tonight, guess what you can do? Take that one home. I just bought another 20, I think, the other day. Um, why don't you take the one that you've got in front of you home if you don't have one at home? I'll let you in a little secret. You've already got one, don't you? All of you, pretty much. And the trick isn't, do I have one, is it? The trick is, do I read one? So what I want to encourage you is don't be a stranger to God's word. His pleasure, his will, and his word are on offer. Let's have a look at what he says next, why it's important to know God's will. Have a look at verses uh, 10 to 11. So that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So here's what's on offer. Three things that we would bear fruit in good work. Every Christian that's saved, we're not saved by good works, but every Christian who's saved will show good works. Not saved by good works, but every Christian who's saved will show good works. That's it, we'll do things that are pleasing to God. That will be growing in the knowledge of God. That's that we would be never static. That you and I would be moving forward in knowing and loving God. And thirdly, he says, that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Who needs more strength this week? I do. It says here that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Bring that on, God. Plug me in. I'm ready. Right? I'm ready. I need some of that. Why? If we have that happen, then something even more remarkable will happen. So that, it says there in verse 11, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Now, I, I said this to the guys at that 10 a.m. this morning. I said, sometimes you speculate as a preacher and you wonder, I'm not sure whether this will be appropriate, what the application of this is. I just want to look at you and love you. It's term four, isn't it? Yep, it's term four. I'm just going to speculate and say you need more endurance. You need more patience. You need more joy. And you can bang your head on the wall and say, oh, I, I want more of that. Or you can turn to God and say, God, I want to fill up on you. And I want you to provide for me the strength and the joy and the thanksgiving that I need so I may endure, so I may have patience, and that I might have joy. That would be a different looking life, wouldn't it, for term four? It's on offer with our wonderful God. And we give thanks to the Father, it says here, joyfully giving thanks to the Father because he's done two things. What are those two things? Uh, well, if you're going to inherit something, you need to be an inheritor. You need to ask the question, who's your daddy? Okay? If, you, if, you're, going to be, if you're going to be an inheritor of things, 
You need to know who's your daddy, okay? And uh, there's a way you can do that. You can take one of these DNA tests. There's a mob called 23andMe, and I was just reading a story this afternoon about this girl who spat into a tube until it got up to the right level and then sent the tube off, and they do all the tests, and she found out that her dad, who she thought was Irish, was actually European Jew. She had no idea at all. Completely different family history emerged. She had no idea. This is our way to find out if you're going to inherit because you may or may not be your dad. You don't know. Here's a wonderful thing, though. I want you to, I want you to see how wonderful this is. Uh, in verse 12, it says this, Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. What, what does that mean? It means that you and I, because of Jesus, have got the DNA of Jesus. Our Father is who? The Father. You will inherit what Jesus will inherit. You will inherit the kingdom. It means that when Jesus rules, you will rule with him. So we give thanks to the Father because the credentials have been provided. We have been checked in as God's children and our future glory is assured. He says he's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. Congratulations, you're an inheritor with Jesus. That is your future glory assured. And then we're told this other thing. So your future is assured because God has qualified you. The second thing is to do with this picture here. Uh, This is after a a bomb attack in Syria. There's a very confronting picture. It's a picture of this little girl being passed out of this building that's just collapsed. She's been rescued from certain death. And we're gripped by that. And what I want to tell you today is in Jesus is a rescue, a real rescue. Have a listen to how it's described in verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Real rescue is on offer. Rescue has been affected by Jesus. He has has absolutely won that from us. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Who wants to hang out there anymore? Not me. And he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. I am a different person today because I know my sins have been paid for. Rescue is affected. Present reality has been changed. So that's why I want to give thanks to the Father. Thank you for my inheritance. That's the future. Thank you for my rescue. That's today. Well, what would it look like if we lived like a church like the the Colossians? What if we were a church that, I know we don't want to be famous, but a church that had a reputation for faith and love? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, that mob on the hill, they're full of faith and love. They might not have weeded the garden for a little while, but they're full of faith and love, right? We're going to weed the garden next week. Their reputation is one of faith and love. What if we could say for sure, the source of my hope is rock solid in heaven? What if as a church, we were part of the growing of the gospel all around the world? What if you were daily being filled with the knowledge of God because you were pouring into his word? What if collectively we were made strong by the presence of God? That we knew our future glory and we knew our present reality as saved people. What if that was us? What would God do in and through us? What if we started a prayer meeting? I reckon if we could keep it up for 24 hours, we're doing really well. But one day, we 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 will try it sometime soon. But I want you to think, what could our church be like if that defined us? If that defined us? 
well, where would we start? I want to suggest that this is a great place to start with the questions that are here. What are you learning as you read the Bible and pray daily? Are you joining with God's people on Sundays in a life group? And how would you say your apprenticeship to Jesus is going? I want to think across those three questions there. Bible reading and prayer, gathering together, Jesus. And I want to think about three different types of people who might be here. People who are new, welcome, great that you're here. People who have been here for a while but are struggling in their walk with Jesus. And people who have called lifers who've been following Jesus and they're all in. They're all in for Jesus. I want to apply that challenge in those three ways. So if you've not read the Bible before, guess what? I'd love you to start. Just get into it. Make a start. You've got, you can get our piece of paper and uh, just get started. If you're one of these struggling people, I want to say to you a hard word. Get disciplined. Get disciplined. Just start doing it every day. And thinks of, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Rubbish. There's all sorts of things that you do. As I said this morning, you remember to brush your teeth, don't you? Don't you? Read the Bible. Just do it. It actually doesn't take you any time to do a chapter a day. And in fact, once you get hungry for it, you'll find that chapter's not enough. But get into it. Get disciplined. If you're someone who does this all the time, can I encourage you, don't just do the discipline. I want you to think about the learning. What, is you, what are you learning of God as you read and pray daily? That, that's your challenge. What about gathering together? If you've never been in a life group, we'd love to get you in a life group. And Jeff, I'm sure, is jumping out of his skin with a chance to find more places for people in life groups. If you drop down on your Care and Connect card, I'd love to be in a life group. We would love to find a way to do that with you. If you're in the struggling category and you signed up for a life group, can I encourage you to be regular? I understand that great waves of sickness and apocalypse wash across our families. I do understand. But if you can make that as a regular thing as you can, that, is, that will really help you. And if you're a regular at life group, can I encourage you to pray for those in your life group on a day that's not your life group? The third one is to do with Jesus. I'm running a course called Jesus for the Curious. And if you haven't met Jesus, I would love for you to do that course with me. It, it's fantastic. Isn't it, Joy? Nicole? It's all right. And Nicole and Nicole, great. You guys have done it with me. Sign up tonight and say, I'd like to do Jesus for the Curious. If you're struggling, I would love to encourage you to grow in knowing Jesus. Know him better as you read the word. As you read it, say, what am I learning about Jesus here? And for those of you who do it a lot, can I encourage you to grow in loving Jesus? The way I do this is by telling others about him. And when I do that, I'm convinced more and more how awesome he is. Grow in loving Jesus. We've got a little prayer card that'll help you in the regular daily praying. Did you get one of these as you came in? Great. The idea is that this will help us pray daily for the next three weeks. This week is week two, by the way, if that's confusing you. Don't worry. Uh, this is week two. Um, and just this week, pray through those things. That'll get you started on praying for the, for the future of our church next year. All right. Do we want to be a church that's famous? I would love us to have a desire to please God and let the fame be his. I don't want us to be famous. What I want us to be is faithful. That's what I want us to be. I've asked someone to pray for us. It's not me. This is how I'm going to finish my service tonight, the sermon tonight. Uh, have a listen to this wonderful prayer for us to be a faithful church. And then we'll have Q&A if you've got any questions.
Amen. Okay. Uh, Q&A. I forgot to remind you at the start. I'm sorry about that. Probably means that you don't have any questions. But if you do, now is your time to shine. Has anyone got a question for me tonight? Just so you know, it can be on anything. You can ask me anything you want, really. Um, but if it's related to the sermon, that'll probably make more sense on the podcast. So. Has anyone got a question tonight? Yeah, Annabelle. Do you want to grab the mic and then we can hear you on the podcast? Thank you. Thanks, Stuart. Um, I've been thinking about this whole question, Please Make My Church, and I was wondering whether you thought that uh, our kind of spiritual goals for ourselves should be, as individuals, should be the same as the church or whether they would be, should be different things. That's Your great. Uh, have you got a thought on that yourself, Annabelle? I've been coming and going with it. I think, I think yes, they should inform our personal goals. I don't mm. want to be famous <laughs> at all. Good. Um, but I think maybe the things that we aspire to for ourselves should extrapolate out. I mean, they're different in the sense that what's corporate, you know, being famous for, for mission, that's not... You want to be doing that differently personally. But, yeah, just what I've been thinking about. Yeah, no, I think, that's, I think it's really helpful. My, my hope would be that these four values reflect something of God's word rather than just my quirkiness, okay? Uh, and that to be faithful, adventurous, compassionate, enduring is actually something of the burden of New Testament Christianity. And in that sense, I want that to characterise me, and I'd love that to characterise you. Now, wonderfully, each of you will have different gifts given by the Holy Spirit. You may have a ministry that's shaped in a different way because of those gifts, but it should have a general shape where we have that passion and hunger, I think, Annabelle. So that's a great question. Really helpful. Yeah. Someone got a uh, question? Another question? Have you a follow-up to that one? Outside the sermon time, can I ask you guys to be deadly serious about this reading the Bible thing? Um, It's made an immeasurable difference on my life. And I think I've given testimony to this before, but I've probably been doing it every day, with exceptions, for 30 years. Um, when someone says, what does God say about this? And you have a blank thing and you try and have a guess at it. It's so different than when you go, oh, I remember in Exodus when God did this. I remember in Kings, this incredible story of God. I remember reading in the Gospels, Jesus did X, Y, and Z. What, what, what I want to tell you is you can know things about God's heart that it might sound arrogant to say, what does God think about this? You go, well, actually, I, I think I know some things about what God thinks about this. God's knowable, okay? You'll get to know him personally in your life, and that's one thing. But I want you to know there's information that God tells us about himself, about his character, about his passions, to the sense that you can say something with confidence about who God is and what he cares about in this world. So I just, it's not the only thing. For some people, it's a seesaw. Does anyone know this? Uh, if your prayer life's going really well, your Bible reading's going badly. Does anyone experience this? And if your Bible reading's going really well, your prayer's hopeless? No, you're all looking at me blankly. All right, we'll try it out. Ali's waving her hand. Um, if you've got a, um, a wonderfully balanced thing, knock yourself out. That's brilliant. Often we find this. Uh, so don't be surprised if that happens, but just keep chipping away at it. And my encouragement as I finish up Q&A time, which has just been me talking to you, uh, is to say, please make that a priority you will be blown away at the God you meet. And I've got to tell you, Acts is the most exciting place you could possibly read. Find out how God started the church and be excited. The same God is at work today.
Oh, there's a question, Jeff. Comment, yeah, go. Michael's coming. Thanks, Michael. Is it, it going to work? Oh, it's going to work. Um, there was a show, I only just tuned into the last little bit of it last night on SBS called The Sacred Rivers. And uh, it was a story of this guy doing a documentary going into the Yangtze in China. And towards the end, he ends up in Shanghai and actually attends a church service in Shanghai. And the numbers you put up there in Africa are yeah. similar in China yeah. in this very day. There's about a, probably 25 to 30% of the population in China is now Christian. And uh, they actually have the support of the uh, or acceptance of the government. And uh, this church they visited was more spectacular than this one even. And the government paid for a third of it. Um, and uh, so that was just amazing numbers of people becoming Christian in China as well as Africa. And you know my love for Africa. Absolutely. So yeah, that's great, Jeff. It's uh, great to see the gospel being proclaimed all and over uh, all over the world. All over the world. Well, yeah. <laughs> in places that just seem to be so hard for so long mm. and it's just booming. Praise God. That's a great note to finish on. I'll talk one more thing. Kids who are here. I started doing it and I was about... Uh, I think I was about 10 when I started reading the Bible daily, so there's your encouragement. You're never too old. You don't have to become an adult first. I'm done. I'm sitting down. Thank you.